0: Well, this morning we conclude our sermon series on the book of 1 Peter. So please turn with me to the last chapter of 1 Peter. Our passage this morning is 1 Peter 5, verses 8 to 14. In order for the church to fulfill and accomplish the purposes of God, we must be adorned with three attitudes. Submission to our elders, humility toward one another and toward God, and trust casting all of our anxieties upon Him. And in addition to these, Peter also exhorts those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ to strive to be sober-minded and watchful. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, <coughs> prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. To be sober-minded describes someone who is free from drunkenness or free from the effects of any other intoxicant. It describes someone who has clarity of mind and discipline of thought, someone who is self-controlled and circumspect, circumspect, being temperate and understanding. To be watchful is descriptive of someone who lives their life in a constant state of readiness, someone who is always on the alert, someone who is vigilant against all forms of spiritual danger and attack. Peter gives special attention to these two exhortations because our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Charles Spurgeon comments, Satan can never be content until he sees the believer utterly devoured. He would rend him in pieces and break his bones and utterly destroy him if he could. Do not therefore indulge the thought that the main purpose of Satan is to make you miserable. He is pleased with that, but that is not his ultimate end. Sometimes he may even make you happy, for he hath dainty poison sweet to the taste which he administers to God's people. If he feels that our destruction can be more readily achieved by sweets than by bitters, he certainly would prefer that which would best affect his end. Our adversary is indeed a destructive and deceitful trickster. If one of his temptations fail, then he will simply try another and another and another until we are ensnared, until we are caught fast in the clutches of sin. His methods matter not. If he cannot tempt us to covet, then he will tempt us to extravagance. If he cannot tempt us to anxiousness, he will tempt us to indifference. If he cannot tempt us to lust, then he will tempt us to pride. If he cannot tempt us to sin, then he will wait for the moment of our greatest vulnerability as he attempted at the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 14, 13, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Our adversary will not give up. His attacks will not stop. His attacks will not relent. He will not retire. He will not go away. Satan is our greatest foe. He is our greatest enemy. And he is working hard for our destruction. He opposed the Lord Jesus Christ all throughout his life and his ministry. And he will oppose you all throughout yours, most assuredly. Beloved, a sober mind and a watchful eye will greatly assist you in your preparation for his attack. Do not be caught drunk. Do not be caught asleep. Do not be caught unaware. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Well, what about the attack itself? (laughs) What are we to do when the roaring lion pounces? What are we to do when the fiery darts zero in on us? What are we to do when the adversary launches a full-scale attack against us on all fronts? Please turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5, 8-14. Let's read this passage together. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. At the first sign of the adversary's attack, we must resist him. Verse 9, we must hope in the God of all grace. Verse 10, and we must stand firm in the true grace of God. Verse 12, let's take a look at each one of these in detail. At the first sight of the adversary's attack, we must resist him. First Peter 5.9, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The Greek word translated resist means to stand or to set against. It means to set oneself against, to oppose, or to withstand. The term was commonly used to describe face-to-face confrontation such as an army that was arranged in battle formation against their opposing enemy. Resist is a defensive term. It is not an offensive term. We are not commanded to attack Satan. We are not commanded to bind Satan. Nor are we commanded to flee from him as we are commanded to flee from other evils and temptations. Rather we are commanded to resist. To resist the adversary is to take a stand against Him. It is to be placed opposite Him. It is to withstand Him. It is to actively oppose Him. Well, practically speaking, what does this look like? What does it look like in everyday terms to resist and to oppose our adversary? How are we to resist and oppose our adversary? Take a look at the second phrase in 1 Peter 5.9 and note four very important words. Firm in your faith. To resist the adversary, to set against him, to oppose and withstand him, we must stand firm in the faith. The Greek word translated firm is stereos, from which the English word stereo is derived it literally means to be solid or to be balanced on both ends the word is often used to describe something that is steadfast and immovable to resist the adversary (laughs) our faith must be steadfast and immovable it must be unwavering it must be unyielding it must be unshakable Unfaltering, unbendable. It must be firmly fixed in its place. In this context, the term faith is describing our personal confidence in God. It's describing our personal confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is describing our personal confidence in the authority and the sufficiency of the Word of God. In Jude chapter 3, Beloved, although I was eager to write you, About our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The call to stand firm in the faith is simply a call to know and to believe sound doctrine, it is a call to exercise discernment in distinguishing truth from error. It is a call to contend for the truth and to expose error. The only way to resist and oppose the adversary is to know and believe the truth, to stand firm in the faith. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Our walk in the world is a walk in the flesh. In other words, we are physical and material beings and we live in a physical and material world. But while we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war in the flesh. We do not wage war against our adversaries with fleshly devices, but with spiritual devices. We wage war with the divine power of God to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. To resist the adversary is to take every thought and to hold them captive to the truth of God. And as I know the truth, and as I obey the truth, Satan is resisted. And whatever attack or assault that is launched against me, no matter how violent or destructive, will become my captive as I dig in and line it up to the word of truth. Many churches today have drastically failed at successfully discerning and evaluating worldly philosophies and worldly opinions. And rather than taking these captive and raising them up against the knowledge of God, many churches today have been taken captive and the church has been infiltrated with ungodly and worldly ideals. The reason being, many in the church today are biblically illiterate the Bible is not known, the Bible is not studied, the Bible is not proclaimed, doctrine no longer matters. And when the Bible ceases to be the standard by which all things are judged, spiritual chaos and darkness will resume. Now this is one of the main reasons why we at South Shore place such a high importance on the memorization of Scripture. This is why we incorporate memorization into our worship service every week. Our desire is to see the truth of God hidden in your heart. Our desire is to see the truth of God filling and saturating your mind. Our desire is that you know the truth of God and that you are firm in your faith so that you will be equipped and able to resist the adversary and push back his advancing armies. Beloved, there may come a time when your church leadership fails you. There may come a time when the message of grace is proclaimed to the exclusion of the truth. There may come a time when strange doctrines are being welcomed by your loved ones. Paul warned the elders at Ephesus that after his departure, fierce wolves would come in among you, not sparing the flock, and men will arise speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples of Christ. Do you know your Bible well enough to fend off these attacks? Will you be ready to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints? Will you be able to take these attacks captive and line them up to the Word of God? Beloved, it is our prayer that you will be, that you will be able to stand firm on the foundation of the Scriptures and withstand any attack because you are dug in. You know the Word of God and it's hidden in your heart. And that is why we push the memorization of Scripture. Off my soapbox. Now in the book of 1 Timothy, Paul charged Timothy to wage the good warfare by holding on to two things. 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19. This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, That by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Now, according to this passage, how is it that Timothy is to wage the good warfare? By holding faith and by holding a good conscience. The phrase holding faith means to hold on tight to the truth of God, it means to keep the truth of God, to guard the truth of God, to cherish the truth of God. It means to be utterly devoted to the truth of God, to stand firm in the faith. The phrase holding a good conscience refers to obeying the truth of God. Remember to what the conscience refers. It refers to the soul of man reflecting on itself. It refers to our self-awareness. It refers to our knowledge of oneself. God has planted within each man a conscience. And it will either affirm right behavior or it will condemn wrong behavior. It will either act as a source of affirmation or it will act as a source of conviction. If you have a good conscience, if you have a clear conscience, it will be telling you that all is well. But if you have an evil conscience, it will be reminding you that all is not well because there is sin indwelling in your life. So holding faith and a good conscience means that you are holding on tight to the Word of God and that (coughs) you are holding on tight to obedience to the Word of God. Faith and a good conscience go hand in hand. Purity of doctrine must always be accompanied by purity of life. Beloved, don't be deceived. You cannot resist the adversary without standing firm in your faith. And you cannot stand firm in your faith without knowing and obeying the truth of God. <laughs> Ignorance and disobedience to the truth of God are powerful weapons in the hand of the adversary. Do not let him wield them against you. At the first sight of the adversary's attack, <coughs> we must resist him by standing firm in the faith. Every attack and every temptation that is faced is to be met head-on with the truth of God and you know what I find to be greatly encouraging even though we're in a battle and even though we're in constant danger and even though the adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour we are not alone in this battle look at 1 Peter 5 9 resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world As motivation and encouragement to persevere in the midst of hostility, Peter reminds us that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by other Christians throughout the entire world. No matter how singled out you may feel, and no matter how isolated you may feel, beloved, you are not alone in this fight. You are not alone in your resistance. You are not alone in your struggles. Because all who follow the Lord Jesus Christ are on the same spiritual pilgrimage. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Temptation and difficulty in this life is common to man. It is the lot of every man. Temptation and difficulty is the universal mark of every true Christian. It is through trials and tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. The cross must precede the crown. Suffering must precede glory. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples in the book of John. John fifteen, eighteen, 18-21 says, If the world hates you... Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Persecution and fiery trials are inevitable. Persecution and fiery trials are inescapable. They are a stark reality to those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. For all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So at the very first sight of the adversary's attack, we must resist him, standing firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by the rest of God's people all throughout the world. But not only are we to resist him, we must also place our hope in the God of all grace. 1 Peter 5, 10 through 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. In contrast to the attack of the adversary, whose purpose is to devastate, to discourage, and to destroy, God uses his attack and our suffering for his purposes to bring about his gracious work in our lives. Peter uses four near synonyms to describe the work of God in our lives. He himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. To restore means to fit or to join together. It means to mend or to repair. The term carries with it the idea of putting something together into its appropriate condition so that it will function as it was intended. Peter is saying that God promises to repair the damage that sin and suffering have inflicted. God will make us what we ought to be. God will make us what he intended us to be. To confirm means to make solid. To establish or to set fast. It means to firmly fix in place. And the basic idea is that of stabilizing something by providing support so that it will not topple over or totter. Peter is saying that God's promise to support and stabilize us. There is no attack, there is no affliction, there is no temptation that is able to bring us down. God has made us solid. God has set fast. God has firmly fixed us in place. To strengthen means to cause someone to become capable. It means to cause someone to become more able. It means to be filled with bodily might. The strength that God supplies is given to meet the demands of our lives. God gives strength to bear all manner of unpleasantness so that we will not waver in our faith. And to establish describes that which lies beneath. It refers to our base or to our core, to our very foundation. It means to ground securely. Peter is saying that it is God who places us upon the firm foundation and we will not be swept away. When you take all these four together, the end result of these terms describes someone who is steadfast and immovable. God's gracious work in our lives cannot be broken, it cannot be toppled, it cannot be weakened, and it cannot be swept away. In John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress, which is an allegory of our spiritual journey through this world, Christian the main character of the book arrives at the interpreter's house, and the interpreter shows Christian many excellent things that will assist him on his journey to the celestial city. So the interpreter takes Christian by the hand and he leads him into a room where there was a large fireplace with a roaring fire. And near the fireplace was a man who was desperately trying to quench the fire. He was continually throwing buckets and buckets of water on the fire in an attempt to put it out. But no matter how hard he tried, the flames of the fire continued to grow higher and higher. So Christian asked the interpreter, what does this mean? The interpreter explained, this fire is the work of grace that is wrought in the heart. He that casts water upon it to extinguish and put it out is the devil." But in that thou seest the fire, notwithstanding, burn higher and hotter, thou shalt see the reason for that. So he had him about to the backside of the wall, where he saw a man with a vessel of oil in his hand, of which he did also continually cast, but secretly, into the fire. Christian again asked the interpreter, what does this mean? The interpreter answered, this is Christ, who continually with the oil of his grace, maintains the work already begun in the heart, by means of which, notwithstanding what the devil can do, the souls of his people prove gracious still. And in that thou sawest that the man stood behind the wall to maintain the fire, this is to teach thee that it is hard for the tempted to see how this work of grace is maintained in the soul. Beloved, no matter what the adversary may try to do, No matter the intensity of the persecution, no matter the severity of the suffering, no matter the pull of the temptation, the gracious work (laughs) that the God of all grace is doing in the souls of his people will ever only increase. It will ever only increase. God's oil of grace will forever be funneled into the fire and the flames will continue to rise. And in the midst of your difficulty, you may not see how this work of grace is being maintained. In the midst of suffering, you may not see the work of God in your lives. But nevertheless, He is there, continually casting oil onto the fire. And the grace of God, though oftentimes hidden and out of sight, will always overcome the attacks and the assaults of the adversary." The God of all grace who has called you to His (laughs) eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now Peter, being overwhelmed by these magnificent and matchless promises, bursts out in great adoration and praise. 1 Peter 5.11, he says, To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you realize that this is the appropriate response to attack? This is the appropriate response to suffering and to temptation and to hardship. It is the worship of God. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, Job was a man who knew all about suffering. He knew all about spiritual attack. And one day he lost all of his sons He lost all of his daughters, he lost all of his servants, and he lost all of his livestock. And then the next day, he lost his health. He was struck with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. His life was reduced to sackcloth and ashes, and his grief and his affliction was so great that he was unrecognizable by sight. And the only thing that was left in his life was a nagging wife and three self-righteous friends who, instead of comforting him, ended up persecuting him. And you remember what he says in Job thirteen fifteen: Though he slay me, I trust in him. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. You see, regardless of the difficulty of your situation, the heart of a Christian is to be filled with adoration. The heart of a Christian is to be filled with praise. The heart of a Christian is to be filled with hope. It should spill over and overflow into everything that we do, into everything that we say, into everything that we think. Because even in the midst of our most dark days, God has dominion. God has the power. God has the sovereignty. He is over all things. The God of all grace is worthy of our praise forever and ever. At the first sight of the adversary's attack, we must resist him, standing firm in the faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by the rest of the people of God throughout the world. We must hope in the God of all grace. And lastly, we must stand firm in the true grace of God. 1 Peter 5, verses 12-14. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon who is likewise chosen sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all who are in Christ. Peter concludes his letter with a brief postscript. He mentions the name of his faithful assistant, He extends the greetings of fellow Christians. He pronounces a closing benediction. But he also states the intended purpose of why he wrote the book. Peter's reason for writing was to encourage, to exhort, and to declare the true grace of God to the scattered people of God. The elect exiles of the dispersion should expect fiery trials, and Peter points them to a sure hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout the entirety of this short book, from beginning to end, Peter has been proclaiming the true grace of God. And the true grace of God is manifest in the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered on the cross but was exalted to glory. 1 Peter 2, 21-24 says, For to this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continually entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. As we conclude our study of First Peter, if you can take away one thing, I want you to take away this exhortation. To stand firm in the grace of God. If your brain can only hold one nugget of truth, let this be that nugget. Stand firm in the grace of God. We must stand firm, not on what we have done for God, but what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. In order to wage the good warfare, in order to fight the good fight of faith at the first sight of the adversary's attack, we must resist him standing firm in the faith. We must hold fast to the truth of God. We must hold fast to obedience to the truth of God. We must hope in the God of all grace. God has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, and He Himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God will deliver everything that He has promised. And lastly, we must stand firm in the true grace of God. We must stand firm on the foundational work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we must trust Him completely because to Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.